Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Booyah! Welcome to the Investories Podcast. I'm your host, John Hooper, and with me is not Kyle. Kyle is on vacation, well-earned vacation uh, this week. Hey, Kyle. Hope you're having a great time. And uh, so you just got me, unfortunately, but that's fine. We've got a great episode ahead. Uh, we're talking to uh, Patrick Legenzoff. Patrick is the sober investor, and his story is incredible. Um, we touch upon so much uh, sobriety, 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 which I struggle with. Uh, we talk a lot around um, mindset and kind of conquering your demons and, and figuring out your goals and where you want to be in life. And then we talk a lot about um, arbitrage as well. Uh, so that kind of angle that we haven't ever discussed before, uh, specifically around uh, sober and supported living. So it's, it's a really interesting kind of deep dive into, into those kind of elements. Um, if, you, uh, if you're new to our podcast, if you found us by accident, uh, we're on uh, Instagram, uh, Investories Pod. And uh, hit us up, say hi, um, interact with us, say, give us a few likes and a thumbs up. Uh, we'd really enjoy that. Uh, same on uh, on YouTube, and there'll be a link in the show notes. If you could go in and, and watch a video and enjoy a video and, and give us a good review, that would be super helpful. And the same with the, with the podcast. If you could uh, give us a five-star review and uh, say, hey, keep going, guys. We like the content. That would be awesome, too. Um, anyway... Um, Without further ado, here's the interview and here's Patrick. Welcome to Investories, Patrick Legansoff. Hey, Patrick. Hey, how's it going, John, man? Good. How are you today? Oh, I'm, I'm blessed, man. Uh, just a busy day, but it's all been blessings and good things. So, so far, so good. So busy far, in a so good, good way, I'm, I'm hoping. Absolutely. We're going to get on to that. We're going to get on to all of that. So, uh, Patrick, you're the um, the sober investor. So, um, there's, you know, that's going to give a lot of people certain thought process connotations, kind of a niche you into it, a pocket. And um, it's something I've, I've kind of read about and, and not really um, been exposed to in terms of um, predominantly investing in, in sober housing and that, that journey. That's, so we really want to dig into that and understand kind of, how well i guess how that works but also why you're in that space and, and a kind of journey to that absolutely man uh it's a great thing i can get uh, if you give me rambling i'll just keep going so that's what we like um, we like the stories we like the stories uh, i go by the sober, uh, i go by the sober investor because i'm sober myself and i invest but i also invest my time in people trying to get sober and of course i invest in uh sober livings and uh different housings and a whole bunch of fun stuff so so we usually ask people um what what was their jump into investment what what kind of was the spark or the the piece of education or the nugget advice of, of advice that got them kind of rolling taking that a step back in terms of that journey to to sobriety sobriety um and uh, you know that's that's kind of a world that I've never had, fortunately never had to kind of brave through either myself or or friends. Um, I've been quite lucky in in that regard and and that kind of addictive kind of space. What what did that look like? If you if you don't mind diving into that for us. Uh, I mean, I grew up uh, in a bad part of here in Arizona. Uh, my mom was uh, had an addiction. Um, I started at an early age, age 11, into some harder stuff and uh, did that whole, I, I kept going. I didn't get sober until I was 23. In that time frame, I, I was a high school dropout. I was homeless. Um, I got, I, in that time frame, I received three drug felonies um, and uh, it was a journey to get there. And finally, I was done. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And um, my mom had finally uh, was sober at the time, and she introduced me to this world. I wasn't ready for it, but I did meet some people where she worked. 
and uh, she did run one of the largest sober livings at the time in, in Phoenix, and she went over the numbers and the overhead, and it, it got the my my wheels spinning. And um, finally, one of those people that reached out to me where she worked, um, that's who I reached out when I was ready uh, to get sober, and I did the whole thing where you uh, rehab, sober living, three quarter houses, and. Um, Finally, yeah, I just kept going on in the journey of life, learning how to live life. Yeah, that learning, <clears throat> learning, I guess, that kind of, that life away from, I guess, you know, there's a few things there, right? There's a network that you have when you're addicted and you have that kind of, that network and that space that you kind of live in. So breaking free from that. What was the thing that, that's, that was the snap? What was the catalyst to say, yeah, I don't want to be this, be like this anymore? Uh, well, the drug that I was doing, it makes you very paranoid. Um, I thought everybody was after me. Everybody was out to get me. Um, I had no friends. Uh, I was homeless living on the street. All I had was a backpack and, um, I just came to the conclusion like, man, this is not life that something has to be better than this. And, um, I reached out, man. It, it was just, I was done. Yeah. And and I guess then it feels like the universe then provided you with the the kind of exit route, which is is kind of um, kind of a sweet uh, sweet kind of route out. And how long have you been sober? Uh, in June it will be ten years. Congratulations, that's incredible. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's a hell of a feat. I think to to see it from the outside and to see people you know in that space and then pull themselves away from it and and have that determination to make it stick that's pretty pretty powerful stuff and i guess that then transfers the other way to um you know building your knowledge becoming an investor being kind of obsessed with um you know building i think you know building businesses for sure but also then building that kind of value to the community um can you can you talk me through how that kind of process went in terms of like learning real estate but then also like figuring out that mission I mean, just with my past, I mean, you have to be clever to get money to do things and you hustle, um, you learn sales, I'm, I'm selling drugs, selling this, selling that. And uh, I was using it all for negative reasons. And when I got sober, the person who helped me get sober um, pretty much said, you have all of this hustle and all of this, why don't you use it for something good? Um, my first year sober, I started a vaping company. Um, the vaping company did uh, relatively well. In its uh, first year, I did like six figures, but then it just became a uh, a race to the bottom, and it was no longer it was no longer fun. When my mom introduced the sober livings to me, um, I was really interested, and I knew I wanted to get into real estate. Um, but at the time, I was working five different jobs, running companies, and doing all of these things, and um, I was making good money. I was doing really well. So it took me a while. Um, I got sober in 2013 and then um, in uh, I got my real estate license in 2020, but it was really hard to even get there. Um, in 2019, I made a decision instead of putting work before my family, um, I decided to put God, AA, my family, friends, and then work. Uh, 2019 was my worst year financially. Um, between my wife and I, we made about $30,000. Um, and I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I started studying uh, to be a real estate agent. Um, before I started that process, I looked on Google and uh, seen if a felon can get his uh, real estate license. And everything I read said, probably can. And then I spent the money, took the test, passed the test. And then I looked one more time and it said, you might not be able to. So I started the process of getting my record set aside here in Arizona. You can't get expunged. You can get set aside. Um, that took some time and, um, I had a crazy experience of the people that I met with God working in my life during that time, uh, to get me to where I am at right now. And uh, eventually, um, I was able to get my real estate license. So, talk us through that educational piece. Is there is there specific books or courses or kind of um, people that you tapped into? Um, so, at this time, 
my mindset is still not right. Um, I still got hustle, but I'm still waking up whenever, no schedule, no nothing. And um, that crazy story. So I was still bartending at like mansions and parties while I was waiting to get my license. And one day I went to a party I, I and uh, at this party, um, there was a cornhole game. It had like a roof. It looked like a house and I looked the company up and it was Stunning Homes Realty. And the owner of that was Steve. And so the, that was my contact. I started talking to him saying, hey, you're in real estate. I told him that I already had my real estate license. And um, he was like, well, you hit the jackpot. Every large investor company agent is going to be here tonight. And at that party, I didn't know how to talk the talk, but Jamil Damji was there, Pace Morby was there, uh, Steve Trang, his 40th birthday, Zach Keeps, uh, Templeton Walker, um, all of these people are here. I'm getting business cards and I had done my YouTube university hearing about uh, wholesaling, astro flipping. I thought it was a complete joke and a, a gimmick, but listening to the conversations at this party, it was mind blowing. Like I just flipped an eight unit for a million dollars. I just flipped this. And these guys were genuine talking to each other. And I was like, I have to be a part of this. Um, at the end of that party, Steve Train gave me his number um, to come in and to hang my license with his brokerage. And again, uh, the record hadn't been set aside. The record three days later got set aside. I met with him, hung my license with him. Um, he was a uh, wholesaling uh, business coach. Uh, I hung my license with him. And his goal is to make 100 millionaires. Um, again, I wasn't ready for it. Um, and he knew that. So he did a wholesaling course. I didn't have the money at the time. I borrowed money to go to this course because I wanted to be a part of whatever he was doing. It was $5,000 that I borrowed against a credit card and from a family member. And I did, it was like a fire hose. I'd never made a cold call in my life. And, but I took that information. I started sending out text blasts and I was still working at my restaurant job. And um, I thought I found a deal. Uh, somebody on this team said, reach out to this guy. I reached out to this guy. He said he would take a look at it. And mind you, this whole time, I'm looking for sober livings, calling uh, for rent by owners, calling Zillow's, doing all these things, trying my hardest to get a sober living uh, to rent to let me do this business. And everybody is telling me uh, no, no, no. Um, that guy who I sent a deal to, an hour later, I'm at my restaurant job. This guy walks in, doesn't uh, bouquet of roses. And I'm like, why does he look familiar? It was the guy who I sent the deal to. Um, and he sat in somebody else's section. I paid that server to wait on that gentleman. Uh, that gentleman now is uh, one of my best friends. He is a mentor. And I probably have uh, 30 of his 30 of his houses um, and I've bought 10 houses from him personally. And that's just how God works in my life and being persistent and speaking stuff into existence and um, the laws of attraction, the more you talk about it, the more it comes to you. So with, with deciding kind of on, on sober living as a strategy, was that kind of always the plan? Was it the service and kind of, you know, you achieve what you achieve with your sobriety, uh, sobriety, which I can't say that word. I'm really struggling with it. Was it, um, was it then wanting to be in service and, and wanting to help other people? Is it that simple? Um, I had been sober six years at this point. Once I got my real estate license, it was always a point to help people. And I had been uh, there my first sober living I went to, I was fresh out of rehab, no job, no experience, no nothing, no money. And somebody gave me an opportunity on a promise to pay and gave me a bed in hopes that I'd get a job and pay him back. And I am so thankful for that opportunity because it got me to where I am now. And the reason I wanted to become a real estate agent, I didn't want to have to depend on anybody to tell me what a good deal was, what a good area was. And uh, I knew I was going to be buying homes eventually and saving that 3% would definitely help. So I wanted my own knowledge and not have to depend on anybody. On anybody. No, I really like that. And um, if, if you wouldn't mind, I think what would be interesting is, is kind of contrasting, um, obviously, you know, being in, in, the, in the space of addiction 
and then moving into kind of what you do now is that it, do you see kind of similar traits but in a positive light kind of applied to real estate is there kind of a you know really getting in depth with things or is that kind of uh, too broad um, it might be a little bit too broad, but I see the glimmer in some of these guys' eyes that I'm helping. Um, again, they came from the streets. They had a hustle. They have ambitions. They just don't know which direction to point it or which way to go. They need some guidance. Uh, when you're in AA, um, you're, it's, it's, I can plug in the two, but AA teaches you the same thing that business books, all of these business books that you read. It is freely giving away, not expecting anything in return. So, when you get to AA, you sponsor people and I sponsor guys and they see where I'm at. They want what I have. But again, it's mindset, getting everything under control and going, uh, pushing them in the right direction. I really like that. And I think, you know, obviously I've only seen like media and, and TV and AA kind of on podcasts discussed and stuff. So I, I don't have the inside track. But what I do see is that selfless kind of nature of people that just want to help people there's no financial gain there's no um you know there's no social climbing or anything it's just to try and help someone and i think that's quite pure i think like that in real estate you go to a real estate meetup and talk to people and people genuinely want to contribute and help you they want to raise everyone up in the room um and and make them the best version of themselves um, it was a breath of fresh air, man. Coming from uh, the vaping industry where it was just cutthroat, nobody wanted to help anybody. It was it was horrible. And then you walk into a real estate meetup and all of these people want to see you succeed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've missed this my entire life. This is amazing. It's a cool tribe. Yeah, I, I like that. Literally a breath of fresh air compared to vaping, right? <laughs> <laughs> There we go. There we go. Can we move into your, your strategy? So um, in terms of was was the first I was doing some reading uh, and some listening ahead of ahead of this call. Was, I don't want to cut you off. I forgot, oh, sure. uh, you went over the mindset thing. I don't want mm -hmm. to miss the uh, are you going back to the mindset or. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's go mindset. Yeah. So sorry. So I did mention that um, when I went to Steve Trang's, I wasn't in the right mindset. Um, and I didn't know this at the time, but Steve Trang is one of the top sales coaches and real estate coaches in, in the country. People pay a lot of money for his coaching. Um, with me being with his brokerage, I had access to him every Tuesday. And this thing was sink or swim. He is just like, I, go do your research, find what you want to ask me, and then come ask me. Um, so I did all of those things. And his, his goal was to make 100 uh, millionaires. And... I, one day I went to him. I was just like, Hey, I want to be, how do I become one of your 100 millionaires? He said, give me three years. And I was just like, how do I do this, 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 and this? He was like, Hey, go read this book. The book he suggested to me, which is my, what changed everything for me, um, is called the miracle morning. Um, and it's, if you win your morning, you win your day. And so I went and read that book and I went and changed my routine I was so excited um, to go to him. I was like, hey, Steve, I wake up. I'm waking up at 5 a.m. now. And he laughed at me and he said, ha, that's funny. He was like, yeah, millionaires wake up at uh, 5 a.m. He said, billionaires wake up at 4 a.m. I was like, oh, okay. So I started waking up at 4.30. I now wake up at um, 4 a.m. But then again, I wanted to know all of this information and he didn't tell me I, I wasn't ready, but he would just say, hey, go read this book. And it would frustrate me because I'm like, you're not giving me what I want here. Um, he had me read The Go-Giver, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Millionaire Next Door, all of these amazing books. And then I caught on. I was like, oh, I get it. Not the right, uh, mind, uh, not the right mindset. So I started reading mindset books, started doing um, the time blocking and doing all of these things. And then the information started to come. Um, and of course, I got my license in 2020. I got my first sober living from that gentleman um, that I waited on the, at the, t uh, the tables. I got my first sober living in February of 2020. And then I had 10 of them by August of 2020. 
Wow. And I, I guess, you know, I think what you've touched upon is really interesting and what a lot of people, I certainly overlooked this, right? I, I was like, oh, I, I got to a point where I wasn't happy in my life because I, I wasn't taking ownership of, of what I was doing and how I was spending my time. And I was in a W2 and just in a cycle of, of kind of earning money, spending money, earning money, spending money. I was like, well, how do I grow? I don't feel like I'm, I'm kind of at my potential and I still don't feel like that. Um, but I'm closer. Um, and what was interesting and, and what you said, Patrick, and a lot of people might skip back to is you get up at 4am and I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on that. I get up between four, four thirty every day. And people say to me, how, and I ask them two questions. What time do you go to bed? And what do you do before you go to bed? And the amount of time that people say, I go to bed at 11 midnight. And I say, what do you do before you go to bed? I watch TV. It's like, well, turn the TV off, go to bed at 10, wake up at four or go to bed at nine, wake up at four and you've got seven hours sleep and you get that killer morning routine and you have time, you have time to breathe, time to meditate. If you're religious, time to pray, time to work on your fitness and time to just absorb the day and plan it out and, and get ahead. That's how people get ahead because they plan. Um, so yeah, Miracle Morning is an amazing book, and I, I kind of stolen a lot of things for my evening and morning routine from from that book, and well worth a read. Um, so no, I, I think a lot of people might go, "What four a.m.? Are you crazy?" Uh, but I, but just try I, it. I do, I do believe, believe uh, me. I, I love, love the four a.m. because my family isn't up. Nobody messes with me, and on my drive home, nobody's on the freeway, and I, and I get, get a lot done. done. I do. <laughs> I'm in bed. Laying, laying down, down uh, with my wife at 7 a.m. And, and I'm probably in uh, to sleep by 8.39. Um, but, but I do believe if somebody has organization, they can get up at 8 o'clock, but they still, that, that time at night, there's no TV. If you're focused and you, you can be centered and at peace and get a lot, you can get a lot done at night as well. But definitely the time is, the gyms are not as packed. It's definitely a difference um there's a personal rhythm to it right you're right like you could you could do your mid uh, your miracle morning in the evening right when you when you're done if you're a late person um yeah you don't have to get up at stupid o'clock but you yeah there's there's some kind of time trade-off which is really interesting um so you said you you then um got your first um sober living facility so you did you buy your first one or was it um is arbitrage the right, right word uh, rental arbitrage, man, for the majority of them. So again, I borrowed money to go to that disruptors course. Uh, when I met Zach, um, he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I have a house, meet me here tomorrow with first month's, uh, rent and deposit. And I'm like, yes, sir, I'll do it. And again, I had to borrow money for my first one. Um, so I borrowed money and I I risked risked it all, man. Um, I didn't have rent for the next month, but I knew I was going to succeed. I knew I'd be successful at it, and um, there was a, definitely a hiccup in there, though. <laughs> Where did that money come from? First of all, before we get to the hiccup, uh, my mother-in-law um, helped us with uh, the money, and I think some from my mother as well to get that first one. Um, that's going. mothers. That's risky. That's a risky place to borrow money, right? It was risky. They didn't want to. They're like, "You've never done this before," uh, and then I was just like, uh, "Please." I mean, I think we asked one, and they didn't give it to us all, so we had to ask both to come up with the 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 remainder. So. <laughs> That's awesome. And you said a hiccup. What was the hiccup? So my first sober living, I opened it up um, within a week. It was completely full. Um, and the manager who I had, uh, I was speaking to him. He turned rent into to me the first two weeks. The third week came around. I called. He wasn't answering. I go to the house um, and he's gone. He's gone with the rent money. Um, the guy who answered the door had a vodka bottle in his hand and come to find out he was letting everybody drink, get high. And, um, we kick them all out, get new people within three days and then good old COVID happens. <laughs> um, COVID happened and, um, everybody lost their job and there was a temp service, uh, temp 
temporary work service right around the corner that was hiring for Amazon. Every single guy in that house got a job at Amazon and caught up on rent and think it was all, it all worked out. Yeah, that's really good. And I guess the job part is, you know, for, it's not just finance, right? It's, it's, it's not just a financial piece. It's, it's the kind of peace of mind moving on, having something to do piece as well for, for those gentlemen. So I'm glad that worked out. What did, so that first deal, what did the finances look like? Are you able to kind of talk through the numbers on that? Uh, so my first year, um, I was still uh, serving tables. My goal was to get four of them to replace my income at uh, the serving. And I was doing real estate, selling houses. I sold 12 houses my first year. Um, so I'm doing these things and uh, I don't take any profit. I just uh, save the profit, have enough money, open another one, open another one, open another one. Um, and COVID also happened for me in my job. And, uh, I think we shut down in like, uh, March or April. So I no longer have that, um, real estate's kind of going slow because of COVID. And so that made me fully focus and have a lot of time on this. So, um, by my 10th one, we're, we're making money, but I start marketing and there's a company that's using me and I, I start reverse engineering to see what they need. And I said, what if I could provide you a house, but you have to pay me this amount, whether there is zero people or 10 people in here, would you do it? Because they were turning away um, people and I wanted to solve that problem for them. And they said, absolutely, we'll take five. Um, so they were paying me $10,000 a month for each house. So now I have $50,000 coming in every month on top of the other five. Um, so on my first year, just with the sober living part of things, um, I grossed uh, half a million, um, with the first 10 in the first year. Um, in that same year, I met my business partner and we started doing the behavioral health side where you're able to provide a service and accept insurance. And that became uh, my full focus. Interesting. So in terms of that, that first company, was that a, that wasn't an insurance company, right? Was it a program or what kind of, uh, so it was just, uh, the terms get uh, mixed up, up and, and come, come to find, find out, out now, now that, that I'm reaching, reaching out all over the country, country there is different terms for uh, different things. I call them different things out here. A lot of them are just group homes, but the thing that I was doing here in Arizona, it's called sober living specifically for people trying to get sober and basically sober livings. They are self pay out of their pocket, 175 bucks a week, uh, per bed. So, um, they pay you out of their pocket. The insurance thing, um, we had a commercial space where we provide one-on-one -on -one therapy, group therapy, group activities. And, um, it's like the first, uh, first or second step before going to a sober living and seeing the underlining problems, uh, the therapy and stuff that is involved. And, um, you're able to bill insurance, which you don't have to worry about or chase down. And, um, it is, uh, significantly more. Yeah. A lot, a lot less, uh, administration, I guess. Or, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's super interesting. How, so moving from kind of just being just, just marketing to kind of individuals, um, into insurance, what what did that process look like? Did were you approached, or did you make some industry connections? Um, so uh, it's a story. So um, a gentleman, when I'm doing the sober living thing, uh, a gentleman reached out to me and he said that um, everybody in his house is getting high. Uh, he's not in a good space. He doesn't want to relapse. And he asked me if one of my houses accepted insurance. I said. No, it doesn't, but you can come to my house free of charge, get out of the situation that you're in. Uh, he came from the prison mentality where he didn't want to feel like he owed me something. Uh, two weeks later, that gentleman, wrong place, wrong time, he was murdered. Um, so I vouched 
for that to never happen to me again. So I went back deep dive on how to do that. And just like the vaping world, the behavioral health world and insurance world, everybody thinks they have the golden goose egg. They don't wanna give you their secret. So um, it lit a fire under my butt and I made it a mission to figure that out and conquer it. And while I was doing that, uh, uh, a woman um, contacted me and she wanted to do women sober living and the insurance thing. And so we partnered together and uh, between her and I, uh, everything blew up. The marketing was pretty much word of mouth um, at that point. It's just we delivered a product that was better than everybody else and we went above and beyond. We actually put the client first. We didn't care about money. We wanted that individual to succeed and we were willing to go to any lengths to see that uh, person succeed. Um, in our first year of doing the behavioral health company, we helped over uh, 500, 500 people in the first year. We had over 30 homes, 60 employees, and we were able to gross 18 million in our. Incredible. And in terms of employees, so is that management, cleaning? What does that look like? Do you have a whole roster of staff? So, yeah, you mentioned the, the less administration. Sober living, it's super easy. There's no overhead. The manager's free, and it takes up very little of your time. The behavioral health side, you're now dealing with people's uh, that are brand new in recovery. There could be some mental things there, behavioral health things there. So it is very fragile. And we, um, all of those employees, uh, you have to pay the house managers. You now have doctors, nurses, and therapists on your payroll. Um, you have peer support, administration, transportation, marketing. The, it's a full-blown business, um, and it has a lot of moving parts, especially when you grow that fast. Mm -hmm. That's really, really interesting. Um, if, if, if I might, um, pivoting to kind of the real estate portion of that, what makes a good, um, I guess, sober living facility or, or kind of uh, the, the health uh, facility what what kind of makes a good property for that um you i mean just like start it when you are you're buying real estate you do your market analysis and go for your buy box and uh, do the market data in that area same thing with the sober living depending on what area you're going to um i like five bedrooms um because of obviously there's permitted and you want to be able to put 10 people in a house so you have to make sure the area is is good. Um, the neighborhoods are good. Make sure it's close to like public transportation, grocery stores, and you want to make sure that there's jobs available because a lot of these people come to you with no jobs. Um, you want to make sure that there is hospitals, nonprofits, uh, companies that may pay for housing, or a lot of homeless, um, and just make sure in that area that there's people to network with or make sure it's not oversaturated. Um, some cities, uh, every city and state regulations are different and every uh, permit and zoning are different. So those are definitely things that you have to look at and research and make sure you're doing your due diligence. <laughs> I was going to say, is how how does that how is that kind of handled, or have you found there been pushback from local communities, local councils, at all? So here in Arizona, now that I'm I've explored uh, all over the country now, in Arizona there are a lot more stricter uh, restrictions um, mm -hmm. because it is um, Phoenix, Arizona is ninth in. Um, public government money. So there's a lot of money being spent here. There's a lot of homeless, there's a lot of uh, population. So it's very restrictive. In certain cities, uh, one of the cities like Phoenix, uh, you can have five group homes within a quarter mile. And that's everything. Group home is old people home, sober living home, veteran home, all these different things. You can have five within a quarter mile, but other city, uh, cities, you can only have one within a quarter mile. I mean, a uh, full mile. Um, so it's different and different areas are 
very populated and restricted and that that that's interesting and i guess that's the kind of that might even be people who are looking at this strategy that might be their first start point which is where you're looking at get the legislation down so that's um that's really interesting in in terms of um and and switching to kind of the your first kind of buying of a home what what did that look like how did you how did you finance it um and what kind of what money did you kind of outlay to to fit it out so uh zach again my uh business mentor the guy who i get the majority of my houses from um he is the number one uh single person buyer here in arizona he owns over 215 properties and he's flipping five to ten of them every month and uh some of the homes when he gets them before he flips them he caters to what i need in these homes and uh, a lot of times he was just like you're gonna buy this one right you're gonna buy this one right and um so when i got the opportunity from having money obviously now it's time to invest get that passive income get the depreciation and get those things so uh all of the homes that i have bought are homes that i was arbitraging uh from him and uh eventually i made enough money to be able to buy them oh cool so you could then effectively convert them to your own uh, property and and do you finance through conventional means or is there um, business loans attached or uh the first couple um were just regular loans um one of the properties that i bought was a seller finance uh and then with the uh with me having good income and with me owning some properties i was able to cross collateralize the ones that i have and then with my income to get a jumbo uh, loan. So the last purchase that I did was uh, a seven home package. <laughs> and in terms of the seller finance deal, and we're we're on a bit of a seller finance tear of the last few weeks. Um, what did how did that come about? What did that look like? The the golden goose, the unicorn of seller financing. Seller finance. I'm not one of. The, I mean, I'm learning the whole uh, subject to creative thing as well right now, and I'm trying to get more. Uh, in depth just to have more knowledge but this one uh it came to me through um through zach he was partnered on this deal and he's like i'm gonna put this on on the market and sell it and i was just like wait that's the perfect area i really want this house and he was like well it's i'm partnered on this one and uh we just negotiated the deal i was able to put little money up front and then the interest um interest over so many years and um it worked out really well and how do you run numbers on these deals i guess you have kind of an understanding of phoenix and and kind of the i guess what a insurance company would pay or what a um kind of per bedroom would pay is that is that kind of fair to say that you've done enough uh, of them to know I totally understand with the money and the services that you provide in, uh, on the insurance side of thing. Uh, it sucks to say it in my business. Uh, Zach hates when I say this is, um, I can make any house work, um, any house. It doesn't matter the price of whatever the case is. I can make it work. Um, and I'm renting these. So there's really low risk, uh, when you're renting the majority of these. So as long as it's, it matches all of the other criterias, and the rent is at a, a, a fair price, then um, I can make any house make sense. On the sober living side, not every house makes sense. Um, sober living side, you, depending on the rent, everybody kind of knows people. If you ask them, hey, can I do a sober living? They know that they can get a little bit more than market value rents right now. So uh, I look at a property, um, again, if I'm at full capacity, I'm grossing seven, uh, 7,000. So with that 7,000, my overhead, um, you want to, uh, adjust for 70% capacity. I'm a little bit higher than that, but on average there's a 70% capacity. So that number that you have coming in on 70%, I think it's in the ballpark of like 47. 
So you want to make sure you're still making money with a gross of 47. So you have rents, um, utilities, uh, insurance for this type of business is roughly 200 a month. And then I provide supplies, which is another 200. Um, and then maintenance and all of that's another 500. So um, I calculate my overhead expenses on those with the rent and then see if it still makes sense. Um, I like to make at least uh, a thousand on that number, but uh, I have taken on some smaller properties and knowing at 70%, I can make 500, but obviously at full capacity, I'm making 2,500. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And also getting control of that asset, right? Which is the, the cool part of it. Um, so that, that's really interesting. Um, in terms of, uh, let's talk about tenants. In terms of attracting tenants and then qualifying tenants, what, do, what does that process look like when it's a, um, I guess that's more for sober living, when it's a sober living facility? Both of them, you're you're qualifying. There is uh, on the behavioral insurance side, there is an intake process. Uh, not, you can't take every insurance. You only take a very few. But again, there's there's a process. You have to make sure that you're going to fit within the home. Uh, they call. They give a little bit of their history. How long have they been sober? That type of thing, and uh, make sure that they're going to be a good fit and see if our program is something that they would be looking for. Same thing with the sober living. Um, we take them, they, they just have to be sober. They can't, um, we drug test. As soon as they come in, we drug test and we have requirements in the house. There's house rules. You have to do this, this, and this. Are you okay with that? Um, and then we have to make sure that they stick to our rules and make sure that they are uh, gaining progress in their journey. If they come to us with no job, you're waking up at 7 a.m. and you're going job searching. But we also help in both companies, we help them uh, with resume building. Uh, we help them get interview closed. We help them do a question, a little feedback back and forth on some of the questions that they may be asking and how you should answer those. And we have now that I've been established for a good a good while, I have close connections with other nonprofits and uh, companies that are hiring like crazy. So I can make a quick phone call and get them a job relatively quickly that's so cool i love that that's so cool um that talk about waking up and feeling uh like you're making a difference every day i, I think that's that's admirable um so that that's super interesting in in terms of the hardest lessons learned then from from this let's start with that so what are your i guess the first one is what what are the biggest myths that you've kind of um you you've kind of found on the way that you or busted on the way of, of your kind of journey uh, the biggest miss i mean it's uh i knew that i knew the truth to this but a lot of people um a lot of landlords and all of these things they think that their house is going to get destroyed and uh, i don't want to rent to ex-drug addicts and things along those nature uh, along the nature of that and it couldn't be farther from the truth in my in my house you have to do chores every single day there's room checks every single day they have to do the yard maintenance they have to keep up with things and a lot of these guys are handy you have painters and electricians and plumbers that live within your house and uh, they take pride in the house and they want to see the house look good they want to live in a good environment and what we give them we go above and beyond we have pool tables we have movie theaters we have jacuzzis pools um and they take pride uh, in these homes. So the big myth is, oh, I don't want to rent to them. And it's uh, couldn't be farther than the truth. You can walk into any of my houses at any given time and I wouldn't break a, a sweat because I know that the houses are going to look amazing. And these guys, uh, we're giving them a chance. So they're motivated and they're ready to do the right thing. They think that we're like big terror. The, our biggest enemies are going to be the neighbors because once they catch wind and they see all the in and out, they're like, oh no, it's them people. But I mean, I've never had any problems in any of my houses with any of the neighbors. Um, I had two guys horse playing, put an elbow through a wall and the guy happened to do freaking drywall and fix it himself. And I was like, yeah. That's like the biggest thing that's ever happened. Um, but in the, in the behavioral health world, the biggest myth, 
Um, can't think of a myth, but everybody says it, it's extremely hard and all of these things. But again, if you're motivated, you have a passion and um, you have goals, you can make anything happen. That's awesome. No, I really appreciate the the candidness of that. And I think, you know, uh, from from my perspective, yeah, I had all those um, misconceptions in terms of it means this and it's this and problems and you know you get problem tenants right it, it's a it's a it's a bit of a roll the dice isn't it when you have someone in you can vet them um extreme vetting of of drug tests and and kind of the rules and and, and the regulations around that is is super interesting um that, that that's kind of there in in place to kind of help sometimes uh when people say that to me and i'm like Oh, so you, how long have you been a landlord? I was like, your tenants never mess up your house. And they're like, well, well, and I was just like, D can you put somebody that lives there to monitor all those tenants to make sure they don't mess up your house? Oh no. Well, I, I have a manager at my house that monitors everything for you. We do chores every day, X, Y, Z. And they're like, Oh, and I was like, yeah, you can walk in anytime. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, my my first apartment I lived in in the US, um, so about seven years ago, um, super nice area, nice-ish apartment, kind of, you know, a little older, but, you know, good neighbours, except for one neighbour who, uh, you know, woke us up one night, three o'clock in the morning with his girlfriends on the front of the car, he's trying to drive off, there's fighting, there's fists, and it's like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a pure, it's a roll of the dice, isn't it? So, uh, that's always Absolutely. always funny. Um, in in terms of, I guess, looking back, looking at where you are now, and looking back at where you were uh, ten years ago, what's kind of the, what's the kind of lesson or thread, or what lesson would you give, or what um, advice would you give yourself, sort of ten years ago? Um, I mean, I I love the journey that I'm uh, on right now. So I wish I would have started the mindset thing and the real estate thing a lot sooner. Um, I would be a hundred times uh, further, but I'm a firm believer. You go through uh, everything that you go through to get you to where you're at right now. And I mean, um, myself 10 years ago, I knew I could be successful. But what I tell people, again, I'm a high school dropout, three-time felon, uh, ex-drug addict, homeless multiple of times. I didn't let that define me. I started where I'm at right here and moved forward. And um, I not a single time did a felony uh, hinder me from getting a job or creating my own business or buying a home or being an investor. So um, don't let your past define you. If you're, you're contemplating, start now. Uh, the number one investment that you can do is in yourself. Um, money towards books, uh, mentors, whatever field that you're trying to get into, pay for that mentor, pay for that book and actually study. But more than that is actually putting in the action. And that is crucial. I love that. Patrick, that's, that's so true. And um, Kyle, my co-host has a, has a sign on his wall that says failure is an option. Right. And I, I think building on that is, is failure is an option, but um, you know, it shouldn't be a limitation. I think that's really interesting. And with the with the mindset stuff, I think it's so important because I read a book um, a couple of weeks ago uh, called Relentless, which is all about the, it's uh, Tim Grover, who's who was Michael Jordan's fitness trainer and as a fitness trainer, conditioning trainer for a lot of NBA athletes. And he describes what it takes to be relentless, to be Michael Jordan, essentially, and the characteristics. And I think to myself, two two years ago when I started kind of my journey on, on education and not, not being happy and trying to figure out what that looked like, I wouldn't have been receptive to that book. Whereas now I, I kind of listened to it and absorbed it and wrote tons of notes because like this is exactly what I need right now. Um, so I think to your point is don't be afraid to, to jump into that investment, invest in yourself, read um, and, you know, kind of don't just focus on real estate as in uh, as a as a kind of educational path but focus on the mindset and how how you apply things and i think you know miracle morning is uh, certainly a uh, certainly a, a a good kind of lean into that as well definitely a good start but to even add on top of that 
I have a good, great mindset, but then again, um, your, your goals and your mindset can change or need to change and grow. So right now I just hired a new, uh, mindset and business coach and, um, Yes, I'm very successful, but again, if you want to be more successful, that's a different type of uh, of mind frame. Now, once you like start hanging around millionaires, thinking like a millionaire and become a millionaire, but I mean, once you're a millionaire, how do you become a 500 millionaire? It's a different it's a different mindset and it's a different vision. You carry yourself a different way and it's different conversations. And it's definitely a different mindset uh, mindset shift. So you could have been where I was at and did the mindset thing and got successful. If you're stuck where you're at, there's a reason why you're stuck where you're at. And they could be that you need another shift and revisit the mindset and um, definitely. And the whole failure thing, I, I always knew I was going to succeed in anything that comes up that may be a failure. I'm glad when that happens because I just take that as a learning moment because I know anything that I do, I'm going to be able to succeed, especially if somebody else has done it before. If they can do it, I can do it. If there's a will, there's a way, and I'm gonna find that way. So I hit a roadblock, I just shift to the side and keep going, man. man. Love it, Patrick. Um, Patrick, thank you. I want to be mindful of your time. Thank you so much for your time today. What's the best way people can get in touch with you? Uh, absolutely. Um, on all social medias, it is The Sober Investor. Um, on all social medias, you guys can uh, message me on there. I'm on YouTube. Please subscribe, uh, TikTok, Facebook, um, all of those fun things. Uh, I do consulting and partnering, guys. If you guys are in other states, I partner in other states. I JV. Um, I have an investor fund that actually can purchase deals as well. And I partner on Sober Livings, teach you how to do it um, for a portion of the company or the profit or whatever that looks like. So if, uh, Sober Livings, gr any type of group home, I've been able to do multiple different things. Group homes, behavioral, old people homes, veteran homes, all these things. And I'm also the president uh, founder of a nonprofit called Soul Revival Inc. Uh, please visit that at soulrevivalinc.org. Uh, we're doing amazing things and helping even more people um, with uh, food banks, uh, clothing, all of these, uh, just amazing, amazing things. And there's many different ways that you can proceed in the sober living space and the behavioral health space with a nonprofit that is amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. And we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, so people can go and go and check that out. And, um, and a note on the JV thing, a lot of people are like, oh, JV, I've got to give away half my deal. It's not giving it away. You're getting paid to, mentor, to get mentoring uh, is the best way I heard it described. Uh, why I put it out there, um, yes, I'm willing to JV, but I, it takes a lot of time and research. Do your research. Mm -hmm. Just send me an address. Hey, does this work for a sober living? Uh, I don't know. I don't know your area. I don't know what city you're in. Do your research, see the regulations, do, I mean, find, uh, find if it's a good area. And if you think it's a good area and you've done your research, reach out to me. Uh, my time is very valuable and, um, I have everybody from everywhere that is reaching out to me. Um, so please have your ducks in a row. Um, right now, my time, like I said, my time is valuable. Um, I'm sorry if I don't get your message. If it says, Hey, can I pick your brain? Hey, this, uh, Hey, how do I start this? Um, just know, do your research, um, reach out to me. Um, if you've done that, <laughs> I love it, Patrick. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man. John, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this has been a pleasure and, um, hope to do it again soon. Of course. We'd love to have you back and we'll be back next week. Heck yeah. Thank you for listening to the Investories podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories podcast.